take together Leviticus 7, verse 37, that's page 86. Here the Lord says, This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the next time that you have some, some meat cooking on your, your barbecue and you smell the smoke that is going up over your back patio, you can use this as a reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed in the Old Testament animal sacrifices and offerings that we will be looking at in this little series in the first chapters of Leviticus. In the Old Testament, cooking meat over a fire was a central and continual part of the church's worship. It was a part of, of their worship services. But then Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled these sacrifices and he changed things for the church. And then we ask, well, what's the use if he changed it? What's the use of studying these sacrifices and learning about these things if everything has changed? And if you look yeah, to the Confession of the Church in the Belgic Confession, Article 25, there's an explanation of why it's still important to know about the sacrifices. Article 25 of the Belgian Confession, you can read that and find that on book, page 509 in the book of Praise. Here we confess that although the people of God, after Pentecost, believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ceased, stopped, with the coming of Christ, and therefore the use of them ought to be abolished. And so that's why we don't cook meat and have barbecues in, in the worship services today. We also confess that their truth and their substance remain for Jesus Christ in whom they have been fulfilled. And as a result, confess, we believe that we can use the testimonies taken from the law and the prophets both to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and in order or, and to order our life in all honesty according to God's will and to his glory. And then when we start reading the New Testament, we can see why we make this confession. We see that not only can we use these testimonies, but we need to understand all that was involved in the sacrifices or else we won't understand what John meant when he calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Why is he calling Jesus a sheep when he comes? Or for that matter, we won't understand the whole book of Hebrews. The language of the New Testament compares the suffering of a Christian to sacrifices. You can see that in Romans 12, or you can see that in 2 Corinthians 4. And then believers are urged, believers, Christian believers, are urged to give their lives to God as sacrifices. Romans 12, verse 1, Hebrews 13, verse 15, and then also in our text, 1 Peter 2, verse 5. If we want to understand what that means, as 
church. We want to understand what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. We need to understand what the Old Testament teaches about sacrifices. And this morning we'll do that through the window of Leviticus 7, verses 37 to 38, which there's a reference to the five sacrifices of the Old Testament. And I preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, in Christ the church may offer acceptable sacrifices to God. And we'll see that his spirit leads us in a life of humble service, personal responsibility, and restored fellowship. The humble service of sacrificial offerings referred to in 1 Peter chapter 2 was around a long time before God gave instructions about sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. The scriptures teach us that already before the exodus out of Egypt, there was a man named Abel who offered sacrifices, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and the descendants of Jacob who were eager to offer sacrifices as a spontaneous gift of thanksgiving to God reflecting that same spirit we sang about in Psalm 118. We want to come to the Lord with thanksgiving. Isn't that what we sang? It's the same desire behind those who were offering these sacrifices. You see, in the Old Testament, the, the, the language used is the word offering or gift or present to refer to the sacrifices. And the word sacrifice means to make something sacred or make it holy in order to bring it to the Lord. Offering a sacrifice was like giving a present to the Lord. And the one true God is pleased with sincere thanksgiving for his sovereign care. Thanksgiving that goes beyond mere intentions or, or thoughts but thanksgiving that is shown with an offering or a gift that comes at personal cost. And this is not changed after the coming of Jesus Christ. That's why Peter talks about it again. It's the attitude that the Holy Spirit continues to work in the hearts of Christians even today. He calls us to that when he tells us through Peter to offer acceptable spiritual sacrifices to God. Show your thanksgiving to the Lord. Recognize that he is sovereign in your life and, and you are a creature. And praise him for his work. Thank him not just in words, but by offering your hearts, your energy, your financial gifts, your time, your hands, your minds, and your mouths for his kingdom. It's the one message in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And although it is a rejection of Jesus Christ to turn to animal sacrifices as a way to approach God today, this does not stop the Apostle Peter from urging us to, to make the humble perspective of the Old Testament worshiper our own. To see life as a person in the Old Testament did, with the same goals that God was engendering in people's hearts through the sacrificial system. 
In each of the five basic sacrifices in Leviticus 1 to 7, each one announces a promise of God, expresses a desire that a Christian with the Spirit will have, and points to the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. For example, the sin offering. What's the promise? It's the promise of forgiveness of sins. What's the desire of the Christian? He wants to be forgiven. And how is that fulfilled in Christ? Christ died on a cross to obtain that forgiveness. A promise, a desire, and a fulfillment in Christ. And so the other sacrifices similarly revealed the desire of the believer to take hold of the promise that he can live at peace with his neighbor and to give thanks to God for his care, to trust him completely for everything. And so in this way we can see that the Old Testament sacrifices are comparable to the praise and the prayer of believers in the New Testament. We continue to hear the promise and take hold of those promises in our prayer and in our praise. And then we can ask, well, what belongs to a response that is pleasing to God? Well, the five sacrifices revealed in Leviticus 1 to 7, they give us the basic elements of the believer's perspective. Whether he or she lives in the Old Testament or the New Testament, these are universal truths, Catholic truths. Each one tells you one basic element of the Christian life. But you'll also notice that it's very rare in the Old Testament that God requires just one of these sacrifices, just a burnt offering or just a peace offering. He usually combines the sacrifices in a, in a series like letters on a page or like Lego building blocks that are joined together to make something bigger. So the order of the different sacrifices that we will be looking at, they send, it sends a message about how God plans to save his people in Jesus Christ. And also about how the believer should order their thoughts and their prayers when they approach God, when they fulfill their responsibilities in the community. So from that we understand there's five sacrifices, each one has a basic idea that tells us the truth about living with God in Christ. And as God led the people, he would join different sacrifices together. And then he shows us the order of our thoughts and how we should pray to him and how we should approach him. And then we notice as we look through all the sacrifices that they are with Israel, with the people of God, continually you know that lamp was continually burning in the tabernacle. You know that they had to offer a sacrifice every day in the morning and in the evening. The, the bread had to be on the table of the presence in the tabernacle all the time. Fresh bread every day. All these things were pointing to the promise that God is always with his people and his people then can always respond to him in thanksgiving. The Lord reveals that his arms are always open to receive his people. We can come to him in our prayers, with our praise, any time of the day. We can
can know that he will provide us with light and with food and with care and with guidance. He is a God who is with us. It's made very clear when we study the sacrifices in the Old Testament. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 reveals that the church of God with the Holy Spirit will show their humble dependence on God every day with constant petitions, intercessions, and prayers of thankfulness. First Thessalonians 5 also tells us that we continually come to the Lord in prayer. And then we see that each one of us has a personal responsibility in our walk with God. Each one of us is called to offer our lives as an acceptable sacrifice before the Lord. The important premise or base point in the book of Leviticus is that the restoration of fellowship with God is not just something for priests. It's not something for spiritual leaders. You know that because today you can read the book of Leviticus. God didn't just give it to the priest who kept it in their tabernacle and it, the book didn't die with the priests. God wanted all his people to read and know about the sacrifices. The book of Leviticus is not a secret, cultic, priest's handbook as was common in other religions but it was given to the whole congregation. The sacrifices prescribed in the book of Leviticus were not just for the professionals to do behind closed doors but all God's people had a responsibility to approach God through these sacrifices and, and today we think in terms of prayers and petitions in order for the commands of God to be followed concerning the sacrifices referred to in our text, regular people would have to buy and raise, have a little field where the animals could, could find pasture. They have to care for the animals. Then they had to set aside portions of their own crops. They had to pay close attention to the calendar year. The average working Israelite farmer with his, with his family would then, at that certain time of the year, they would, they would lead and pull and prod their animals into the temple precincts, the area. They would lay their hands on their animals. They would confess their sins, and they would keep their animals steady as those animals were slaughtered. They would see their animals cut up, placed on the altar, they would smell the aroma of the cooked meat, they would hand over their, their grain and their drink offerings, they would watch the priest in his work, they would remember God's grace, they would sing of his praise, together they would, would grow in their understanding of the reality of God's goodness and grace, they would taste the meat, their faith and their life could not be separated there was no distinction. And by the fact that the priests and the people were involved, the Lord makes it clear that every person needs to constantly humble himself before God, needs to trust in his promises for them personally, 
and receive these gifts with thankful hearts. That's all behind that instruction in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, for us, the church, to be involved personally. Everyone sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And everyone has the responsibility, the calling, the command to seek God as a member of the communion of saints. Although God is the one who saves, and he announces the salvation to believers through priests in the Old Testament, through leaders in the New Testament that he ordained specifically for this purpose, those who are saved by his grace are not passive observers, but active recipients. It's like the worship services today. Although there is a leader, you are here today because you stopped working. You paid attention to the calendar. You organized your, your week, your day. You made the journey here. And when you got here, you, you noticed there's no band or, or, or choir or band leader singing to perform for you. But you are involved. You are responsible to make beautiful noises to come from your lips, to read the Bible for yourself if you, if you know how to read, to think about the words, to reflect on the gospel, to apply it to your local and unique situation. This personal responsibility to take hold of God's grace that continues in your own homes and your work as you you daily turn to his word. You daily pray to him and praise him. Offer your lives as acceptable spiritual sacrifices mean being active in your worship. The careful commands that God gave concerning the sacrifices reveal the value that God places on knowing, on experiencing the consequences of his work in our daily lives. We will see it very clearly as we go through the different sacrifices that the Lord is leading the worship, the worshiper through an experience. He didn't just tell things. He's leading them through the, the rituals, they're called, through an experience. Offering a sacrifice, it included remorse in your heart for your own sins. You, you would see your life being represented in it and what it's worth as it's killed, as the animal's killed and the blood was shed out. It led to a conviction that God has really forgiven your sins. It brought you to a renewed commitment to show that you have been forgiven as you seek to show love to your neighbor in tangible ways. The sacrifices involved the believer and, and had this experience as they walked through the steps that the Lord laid out. And those who followed the commands of the Lord would be able to actually feel peace again, to enjoy the fellowship that God promised in the sacrifices. And then we see, brothers and sisters, worship is not merely intellectual, but it involves the hearts. It involves our hands. Also today, the the worship is, is more than, than just the sermon. 
And the sermon is more than a lecture. The sermon is calling us to, to praise God with our hearts and our hands and our minds. Worship is more than just listening to people sing. Otherwise, we would be content with just following along on live stream from the comfort of our homes or just downloading the, the voice of an interesting speaker or just reading the written version. No, God values, and we see that in, in his explanation about the sacrifices, he values the whole experience of worshiping together. And so he calls us to gather together as his people in a place, even in times of persecution. Look at what's happening in China, the, the importance of being together physically in the age of technology. Christian worship involves actually being bodily present together with other believers, experiencing the sights, the smells, the sounds, the heart ties that are, are formed with a warm look, a warm smile. It, it involves the lifting up of our hearts and voices and emotional response and praise that, that even small children can perceive and, and enjoy. It's a wonderful experience for the whole congregation of God's people to be restored to fellowship with their Creator and with one another again. The Lord leads us through this experience as we offer our lives as sacrifices. The fundamental starting point behind all that is revealed to us in the sacrificial system is that even after the fall into sin, when we are all conceived and born in sin, unable to give our lives to him as an unblemished offering, God still loves walking with his covenant children. He wants to, to see this restored fellowship. He wants us to, to enjoy it together in a very real way. Though he is sovereign God and creator, he is the one who came down looking for Adam and Eve after the fall into sin. He said, where are you? And then he established his covenant with his people, and he wants to maintain a relationship even after we rebelled against him. That's the, the beauty of all the sacrifices of, of this possibility to worship him. The fact that God told the people to bring food to the temple for these sacrifices. It points to his desire to be with them where they are at. This is down-to-earth stuff. This has to do with regular lives. The Lord is calling his people through the sacrifices. He says, come with your meat. Come with your drink. Come with your cereal and let's have fellowship together. This is what Abel understood right from the beginning. And it's for this reason that the, the hypocrite's offering given to God in a half-hearted complacency that was an abomination to the Lord. That's why the, David is saying, yeah, these sacrifices are here, but I give them to you with a sincere heart. A heart. Think about it for yourself. How would you like it if the person 
gave you a gift, and then they told you at the same time, well, I don't really like you, I'm just giving this because I'm really scared of my mom if I don't give you a present. Would you think that that gift was an expression of thanksgiving and love? Well, no, you wouldn't. The same with our worship. The Lord says that hypocritical sacrifice, the, the, the going through the motions without, without the heart, that, that's, that's not pleasing to me. That doesn't show fellowship. You see, God doesn't need our gifts. We'll sing about that in Psalm 50. He says, I don't need food from you. I want to walk with you. I want people to, to walk with me in love, contrite hearts, and a willing spirit. And God wants it so much that he even declared that those who wanted to enter into fellowship with him, the holy God, could show this desire by offering the blood of animals in sacrifice as they waited for the perfect sacrifice that God would provide in his most amazing grace. And that's the, the gospel of the sacrifices that we look at. God declared that he was willing to accept the payment and the obedience of a substitute in our place so that we could walk together. He promised that when a person offered a sacrifice, it would be a pleasing aroma to him. It would be a way to, to still his anger against sin, to restore fellowship through atonement. And if you look at the word atonement, you can see at one meant togetherness, restored togetherness. And those who followed the laws of the sacrifices and the offering, they would see what the substitute that God would send was like for his obedience and his work outlined, was outlined and anticipated long before he was born. And all these steps reveal there's only one way to approach God. It's through the sacrifice of the perfect substitute. So when our Lord Jesus came, he saw these laws. It was like an outline for his own life. He said the Lord will accept a substitute in Psalm 40. There's a prophecy that says... Here I am, I've come to do your will, O oh Lord. I'll be that sacrifice. And so Jesus offered his own life. So he fulfilled the sin offering. Then he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the other offerings of obedience. And then we see, brothers and sisters, when our gifts failed, when we tried to give our lives, but our lives were, were stained with sin, God gave the perfect gift, his son, in our place so that he can have this restored fellowship. And led by the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ, we are now able to offer our hearts and our hands and our minds to God as acceptable sacrifices in Christ. After instilling that desire in your heart to serve him, God takes that grimy, broken offering that, that we are bringing to him and he, and he cleans us. He cleans our gift. He perfects our gifts. 
And he polishes them through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can present our once blemished lives before his throne without stain or wrinkle or blemish. Everything you bring to the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ, every prayer that you offer up in the name of Jesus Christ, everything you say presented to God through the Spirit as advocate, every word of praise that you utter as you, as you take hold of God's grace and God's promises. That's a pleasing aroma to your Heavenly Father who wants to live in fellowship with you. It's a gift that He likes. And so when the Lord commands His church to offer spiritual sacrifices, He is revealing to you that there is no distinction between clergy and laity, between those with special offices in the church and those who do not have special offices. He says, you are all priests before God. You all have a special offering because you all have a life to give to me. Every person, every man, woman, every child, every mother, every minister, every business person, construction worker, educator, health care worker, whatever your responsibility may be. You're called upward to God in Jesus Christ. And your life is a sacrifice that can be offered to God in Christ. In the church of Jesus Christ, the label, holy to the Lord. It's a label we, we find on church buildings and cooking pots, on work trucks and dinner tables. And you can see this reference in Zechariah 14, the very end of the chapter. When the Holy Spirit dwells in your hearts, he makes you desire to offer your whole life as a spiritual sacrifice of humble, grateful service in which you actively serve your Heavenly Father as living, involved members of His church and as you walk with your Father in sincere love, in constant prayer, and in joyful song. And brothers and sisters, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll now sing.